everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness Podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. I'm joined today by my co-editor, Chris Schutte, and by our social media editor, Cam Newton. It is Super Bowl Sunday, the afternoon of Super Bowl Sunday, so we're going to try to squeeze this one in real quick before we all um, scatter to watch the, quote, big game. Stanford Cal. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. God, no. <laughs> Pac-12 hoops. We love it, folks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we're going to um, just touch on a few topics here quickly. First and foremost, Buffalo lost again. It's second loss in the MAC this season. They still rank number 21 overall in Ken Palm. But this one, a road loss at Bowling Green, 92-88. to 88. They've lost two out of four now. They're 7-2 and two in conference. Uh, I guess I have to ask, where do the Bulls stand right now in terms of, you know, NCAA tournament projections? Are they in a situation where maybe they're heading towards the bubble, even though that might, might not be fair with a 19-3 and three record? Or do they still have a little bit of breathing room? Well, well, I guess like right now, after this loss, I, I'm sure they're still in the field. Uh, but the, the worrisome aspect is just that like maybe they drop another one or two of these conference games after how, how vulnerable they've appeared to be in this. And, and at that point, um, you definitely have to worry. I mean, they're definitely going to drop out of like the top 25 now. And uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up like losing in a few weeks when they play like Toledo. Um, on, road, in, on the road and who's to say like if they drop that one um, what can happen I mean it's certainly not fair by any means it's- yeah um, and I you're right it's not fair I mean I know West Virginia is not good but a win there is still I believe that's a quad two win at this point yep uh, San Francisco on a neutral is that quad two as well uh, no, that's actually quad one right now. Uh, yes, yeah, so, okay. 49, so just right. sneaking in there. All right, so that's a quad one win. At Syracuse, it's a quad one win. Mm-hmm. And they have no losses outside of quad one or quad two. Is, is That's correct, right? Yep. Uh, Friday night was a quad two game. Okay. So I, I think they still have the resume. Uh, in terms of this game... Overall, I didn't see it. I was out broadcasting other games. Um, a little concerning, maybe, that Buffalo, a team that has been elite defensively this season, and that's on a national level, not just you know for a mid-major, for a max school. Like they've mm-hmm. been an excellent defensive team. Uh, gave up 92 points to Bowling Green, uh, 1.15 per possession. Um, let them go. Uh, let's see, 22 of 40 from inside the arc, only forced nine turnovers, um, gave up two 20-plus point games to Dylan Fry and Justin Turner. Maybe that's, that is a little bit concerning. But, you know, things happen on the road. Bowling Green's a solid team. I, I, I'm not getting too worked up about a couple of losses. But, Cam, I think, like you said, the concern becomes that now their margin for error has gotten a whole lot smaller. Mm-hmm. You know, they had their two games that they've kind of coughed up that we mm-hmm. kind of expected might come just because the Mac is a solid league. And now they really have to 
put together some good wins in conference, which they could do, uh, just really to solidify their spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the fear, like I said, is just that the snowballs into something greater. Uh, but Buffalo, I think, is better than that and probably won't happen. But that being said, it could. You yeah. never know. That's why they play the games. <laughs> yeah. and I'm, I'm looking at their their schedule coming up. Um, we've got three kind of marquee or notable games left. We've got a uh, road game at Akron in a couple weeks. Uh, it's listed as a, a tier B game on Ken Palm. Uh, that, that road game against Toledo that Cam mentioned earlier, that's their last A game um, on the schedule. And then uh, a road game against Miami, Ohio towards the uh, end of the year. So there, there's some stuff left there for them to, you know, kind of, you know, maybe add a, a quadrant one win if the Toledo game ends up being the case or, you know, just adding two or three more different quad two wins. I would, I think, go a long way in making them feel a little bit more comfortable. But like you guys have been saying, I think the margin for error is significantly slimmer than it was, you know, this same time last week. Yeah, and what we were saying, like, about um, – I, I know we mentioned this in our Slack group about Bowling Green was that how much more interesting this would have been if they hadn't lost by, like, 14 to Miami mm-hmm. earlier in the – like, last week, rather. Because now they have, like, that one-game lead on Buffalo. But you got to think, like, how much more significant that would have been, obviously, if they hadn't dropped that one and they had two games on Buffalo and then whatnot. Um so, so that that upset certainly, I thought, tempered my my enthusiasm for Bowling Green heading into that game. But it did make it a lot more surprising when they actually did pull the upset. But uh, the the it, the potential for this to have been a lot more of an interesting and uh, very tough loss for Buffalo in that regard was lost or last week. Yeah, um, and Chris, you you mentioned the opportunities that still remain for Buffalo. I'm a little bit interested to see, you know, let's assume Buffalo wins those games. They win at Toledo. They win at at Akron. They win at Miami of Ohio. I'm interested to see how the committee views those wins. Mm -hmm. I think it's too controversial for me to say that that would have done nothing in the past. Uh, Or not programs that you would usually associate with um, you know being marquee wins if you're able to knock them off but this year now that the net is a thing and the net is a much better tool of measuring quality of a team than the RPI was and maybe those games will carry a little bit more weight maybe it will matter a little bit more if the NCAA is in fact using this tool like it says it is. Um, I think Buffalo could be an interesting case for the committee to see where they end up getting placed. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, Monday and Tuesday once, you know, everybody's releasing their brackets and stuff just to see kind of where they fall um, on bracket matrix. Right now they're, they're listed as a six seed. I'm not sure how many, um, of those brackets have been updated since Friday night, but I definitely think they're probably going to, you know, drop into that, you know, eight, nine, ten seed territory. Or I wouldn't be surprised if some people like left them off entirely. 
uh, yeah, maybe, which is funny because even though I guess Bowling Green gets the assumed automatic bid right. in a lot of these brackets, which I'm, I mean, I get it's the easiest way to do it, but I still have a hard time calling anyone but Buffalo the favorite to win the MAC tournament. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, while we're talking about resumes and bubble teams, it's obviously something we've talked about a lot on this podcast the last few times and we're only going to talk about it more as we get closer and closer to March. But Chris, you wrote a good piece this week, kind of summarizing the top mid-major programs and where they stand in relation to either maybe getting an at-large bid or just putting themselves in a good position seating wise heading into the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, with that in mind, other than say Gonzaga, Nevada, Buffalo, uh, who are we looking at as potential at-large teams that might have a really good case? Uh, the two big ones um, were Lipscomb and Wofford. And I know we've talked some Wofford <laughs> on the uh, last podcast. Sorry, my, the dog is joining the, the chat. Um, but Lipscomb had that big game that we talked about against Liberty last week as kind of their one last chance to really – um, you know, make a difference uh, for a resume. And they ended up, I mean, they killed Liberty. They won by what, 20, 25 points? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're in a good spot. I'm looking at their team sheet right now 16 and 4, 9 and 0 in Atlantic Sun, sitting at uh, number 32 in the net. Um, their overall record against Quadrant 1 and Quadrant 2 teams is um, it's 4 and 4. So, not not terrible. No bad losses. Um, they'll be an interesting one to to track moving forward. And like you said, if the committee is using the net as they like say they're going to, I would think that a team that's you know within like the top what was it thirty six at large bids. Yes, I would think that a team that's within that range would get serious consideration. Yeah, um, and and I wrote about it. This week, and I'm not to, you know, just come on here and like summarize articles that I've written, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think it's worth discussing because during that game against Liberty, um, I kind of got into it on Twitter with an ACC blogger mm-hmm. who was really just laughing at the idea of an A-Sun team perhaps getting an at-large bid. Um, I don't even think he was getting mad at you saying that. They should get a bid. You were just saying that they're good and like they're yes, their quality of their team is that of a team that could get an at large bid. Yeah, he he didn't quite understand what I was saying. I, I was saying that exactly what you just said that they're good enough um, to be an at large team. I don't know if they will be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if they win out and then lose in the A Sun title game, I don't know if they'll be an at large team. I'm just saying that they need to be at least considered. And I wrote about this a couple of days after that game. Um, And what I wanted to do was compare Lipscomb to a team that projects to be either one of the last into the field or one of the first ones out. Is it Indiana? Uh, No, it was Texas. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, Now, Texas has since lost uh, to Iowa State, a game we expected them to lose. Uh, But at the time, they were 12-9. and And all all I was saying was this. Uh, Lipscomb in the net at the time 
I think there were 36. And Texas at the time was 40. So very close. Um, And just for simplicity's sake, I said, let's assume that Ken Palm's projections end up being what happens. And Lipscomb finishes 25 and four overall in the regular season, 16 and 0 in conference with a loss in the conference tournament. Um, It would be two and three versus quad one teams. That's a 400 winning percentage and three and one against quad two. That's 750 with no losses below that level. Texas would be 17 and 14, nine and nine in conference. Again, you know, plus or minus a win and a loss in the conference tournament. Five and ten versus quad one, a three thirty-three winning percentage, six and three versus quad two, six sixty-six, with a quad three loss to Radford and no losses worse than that. And a net that would probably that would project to be a little bit worse than forty. There's actually like a net projection tool that I didn't know about when I wrote this. Really? Uh, that I checked. Yeah, I think uh Torvik uh runs it. Uh, yeah, Torvik probably has it. Yeah. Um and and so I checked Lipscomb and Texas and where they were projected to finish. And I think Lipscomb was somewhere like around 33. Mm-hmm. So a little bit better than where they are now. And Texas was 45. So a little bit worse. And all, all I was saying is it's not unreasonable to project Texas into the field with that resume mm-hmm. um, at 17 and 14, nine and nine. It's, they would at least be in the discussion you know, last four and first four out type of thing. And if that's the case, then there's no reason that Lipscomb shouldn't be in that discussion either um, based on what they've done. And they haven't had the opportunities that Texas has had because they don't play in the Big 12. But looking at their opportunities, they do have a better winning percentage against Q1 and a better winning percentage against Q2. And no losses as bad as Texas's. And this net, which is supposed to be a way to kind of standardize the quality of these teams, despite maybe playing in different leagues. And I know strength of schedule is still part of it, um, but it also factors in, um, you know, efficiency numbers as well. It says that Lipscomb is better, albeit not by much. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the very least, that has to get them a seat at the table. And just saying, well, Lipscomb's in the A Sun, so no, isn't a valid um, excuse anymore. It just isn't. And I, I think that's why I think the tournament's going to be so interesting this year. Is It's the very first year of, of the net, and no one really knows exactly how well it's going to work. And right. I, like, from our side of things, the thought is, in theory, that more schools are going to get a, a crack at getting an at-large bid. But if it just becomes – the same old, you know, stuff that it's been year in, year out is should we take 11th best team from the ACC because they had a ton of chances to play good teams or should we take team from insert one bid league and who had a really good year, but maybe slipped up in their conference tournament. Like, it, it's, right. And if it stays the same way, then like, what's really the purpose of doing this if nothing's really going to yeah, change? Like, well, why uh, move from the RPI at all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's certainly just a very much a, a credibility crisis that comes from that first year of it. Right. Uh, because, I mean, they have like this one opportunity, really. 
Um, and this seems like like the perfect year for the net to be instituted because of the fact that like we have so many down teams in these big leagues mm-hmm. and um, plenty of teams. And we're not talking about teams in like Atlantic 10 Mountain West who could normally fight for, for a bid otherwise. I mean, these are really good teams in, like you said, one bid leagues. And so this is the perfect opportunity to really test test the metal, I guess, of the selection committee and see how committed they actually are to like standing by these rankings that they touted and that they um, took efforts to change and see if they're actually like going to put their money where their mouth to put some of these deserving teams in there. Because this year, well then why the hell do we even uh, bother like trusting them on all this stuff anyway from here on out? So I think it's going to be really interesting to to see how that plays out. Because if not, I mean, there's going to be a big time uh, credibility issue with them in the sense of uh, mid major fans and mid major uh, writers like us. I mean, right. God, we'd be pretty pissed. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and you're exactly right. And I tried to make this point in the article, and I I don't know how well I did it, but I'm not saying that the net is the perfect tool or that it's even a good tool like mm-hmm. we killed that disastrous rollout that they had mm-hmm. when they clearly didn't have enough data and it said ohio state was the best team in the country mm-hmm. and radford good yeah. team but <laughs> they're not a top 10 team or top 15 or whatever they were so the rollout was disastrous and i don't know how it's going to end up being you probably need a couple years to really be able to tell but this is the tool that the NCAA says they're going to use. And whether it's good or not, let's see if they actually use it. And I, I, it's exactly what you're saying. Put your money where your mouth is. This is the tool that you've developed, so stick by it. And I know that it's not meant to be the kind of be-all, end-all when evaluating a team, nor should it be, which is why, you know, in a scenario like the one I presented between Lipscomb and Texas, if you go with Texas over Lipscomb, you could justify it. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't <laughs> because tell like take North Carolina, for example, um, was it North Carolina? And no, it was, it was like, take Kansas, for example, they almost lost to Stanford. Stanford is by any metric, a fall. System. So why wouldn't, why can't you, why would you just assume that Lipscomb wouldn't beat them? I mean, it's easy to just spouch like that when they they never will play and never have an opportunity to to really eat your word. Right. And I'm not saying Lipscomb's better than Kansas. Obviously, they're not. But, like, in a single game, why can't they? Yeah, I mean, from our perspective, we could just as easily say, yeah, they absolutely would. Like, (laughs) Yeah. Also, who's to say Texas would beat Liberty? Yeah. Mm. Or, Or destroy Liberty. I, <laughs> I don't think you could find very many people um, with knowledge of both of those teams that would feel comfortable saying that Texas would beat Liberty by a significant margin. <laughs> Granted that, like, the disclaimer is that you have to know, like, just how good Liberty is and just how good Texas is. You can't just be right. r- random, co- random college basketball Twitter account that only watches the same three conferences and right. goes LOL mid major not gonna do it and mm-hmm. without like actually realizing that oh maybe Liberty is probably like better than half the teams I spend all my hours watching. 
Especially once Richie McKay and Shaka Smart switch jobs <laughs> after. <laughs> Smock a shark. <laughs> All right. That might be enough out of me in terms of <laughs> talking about Lipscomb and things that I've written. So let's move on to something else that I wrote. <laughs> Just hey, listen, that's I made the rundown. I know only about things that I've written right now, I guess, because I took all day to go to Boston and back. And I was at the, the Big hospital. Apple. Yeah, the Big Apple. Gotta love the Windy City, Boston. <laughs> Sin City. I was there uh, to see Hofstra Northeastern, and my plan was to go write something about, you know, Hofstra did this, this, and this to keep their winning streak alive, and then do something on Justin Wright Foreman for .com. Mm-hmm. That Northeastern won by double digits, and they were in control of the game pretty much throughout the second half. Uh, so I did want to take a minute and point out exactly how good Northeastern looked. I think they started this season very high on our radar. Mm-hmm. Um, Vasa was hurt. They had a couple other injuries, too. Um, offhand, I don't remember the names. Maybe you do. Um, but they kind of fell off. They had a string of early losses in, granted, really tough games. They played a really good schedule. Lost to Virginia Tech, lost to Davidson twice, Syracuse, Vermont. Uh, opening loss to BU, not a great look. What are you going to do? Um, so they kind of fell off of our radar. Um, but since losing to Hofstra at the buzzer in Long Island on January the 5th, they have won, let's see, six out of seven now, including that game against Hofstra yesterday. Um Vasa Puchicha was fantastic, uh, had 24 points, and I think every one of them was a big basket. Um, and as a team, Northeastern did a really good job in taking Justin Wright Foreman out of his flow. He still ended up with 15 points, but it was his worst performance of the season in terms of offensive rating, according to Ken Palm, um, was something like 5 of 14 from the field. Picked up two fouls in the first half. They picked up that second with like six minutes left. Sat down. That's when Vasa came back in with two fouls. Uh, head coach Bill Cohen really showing some trust in him there. Uh, hit some big shots. Northeastern goes into the locker room up eight. Right Foreman comes back into the game to start the second half and just doesn't seem like himself. Not really involved in the offense. Northeastern extends its lead. Uh, and ends up winning the game. It was a really impressive effort from them. Uh, funny thing is that even with the win and the Hofstra loss, Hofstra still has a two-game lead in the Colonial um, just because there's so much uh, balance, I think, below them. Uh, but Hofstra's – I'm sorry, Northeastern's now 7-3, and three, Charleston 7-4, and four, and things are getting a little interesting. Uh, in the CAA, if not for the regular season race, at least when looking to the postseason, that should be a really good tournament. Yeah, and Hofstra was probably they were probably due. Um, oh yeah, due to drop one uh, soon because I mean they'd been ripping off wins for two months straight, and they'd had had a couple close calls in the last couple of weeks um, in conference play. But 
you know, maybe that's something that, you know, they, they take what happened today and just kind of make it a point to, you know, kind of regroup, recollect themselves now that they don't really have, you know, when I think something that could happen um, to some of these teams that start routing off these long win streaks is there's a little bit of added pressure to keep the win streak going once you've got a few more eyes on you and maybe, maybe a little setback for them is, is good. They can kind of reset and, and get back to, you know, ripping off wins without really having to worry about, you know, keeping this insane streak alive. Yeah. And after the game, uh, Joe Mahalik, their head coach was very complimentary of both teams um, saying Joe Mahalik was very complimentary of both teams saying that, you know, Northeastern ex- executed its game plan really well. We knew how good they were. They had a whole week to prepare. Uh, we just didn't play a good game and maybe we needed to get a clunker like this out of our system um, in order to be able to reset, like you just said, and hopefully um, start another streak. And they have two very winnable games coming up at home. Um, I think it's Elon and William and Mary uh, later this week. So there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to get back on track there. Um, so that's where things stand in the colonial right now. We're going to talk about the Rams and the Patriots coming up after this quick break. All right, guys, lots going on in the world of sports. Nothing bigger perhaps than the Rams and the Patriots really huge game this weekend. Cam, give me your takeaways real quick. Uh, so these are two teams that have been sitting at the, the top of their uh, respective games here lately. Um, some, of the, some, of the, some of the best players in their conferences are on, on these teams. Um, of course, we're talking about, like I said, the Rams and the Patriots, two teams that have been really, really high on offense this year. Uh, the Rams, Rams have really wowed a lot of people. Um, they had a, they've got a pretty, pretty new coach uh, for them, who's, who's really been able to do a lot of, do a lot of good in his in his short time there with the Rams. Um, whereas the Patriots are a team that has seen uh, a lot of a lot of success lately. Even though a lot of people were writing their obituaries after and after a few early losses in the season, um, of course, you, you guys are talking. Wait, are you guys talking about? You guys aren't talking about George Mason VCU, are you? No, that's exactly what we're talking about. Oh, okay, okay. That's and everything you said applies. That's what I was talking about, too, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> VCU beat George Mason 79-63, so a big win for the Rams this weekend. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we were all writing off the Patriots after their start to the season, but they really came back strong until this game here. Isaac Van, a big performance, 21 points. Um, for him, uh, Deriante Jenkins did not have his best game, still had seven rebounds. Uh, Marcus Santos, Sil- Santos Silva uh, establishing himself as one of the better big men in the conference. Uh, all around a really good game for the Rams, perhaps the best game that a Rams team will play this weekend. Yeah, and it was good enough. <laughs> well, hopefully the actual, like, the football Rams will also put up 79 points. Um, but <laughs> this, this game, they completely shut down 
like Justin Peer, who had been uh, ascendant and, and since conference play has started for the, for the Patriots. And uh, his lack of any sort of showing for, for George Mason was what really did them in because they've been counting on him as like their savior in a lot of games. And they're used to him putting up about 15 points, I believe is what he's averaging. And he was abysmal, one for 10 shooting. He fouled out late game. Um, not, not his finest performance. And for VCU, of course, this does a great job um, in order to get them back in like the conference title race. George Mason was sitting up there um, in, in first before the game. But now this, this really helps Davidson a lot, too, for that reason. Uh, but VCU, I think, was sitting as one of the first four, if not the first team out in Lunardi's most recent bracketology. Uh, so, so a game like this, if they had dropped it, would have certainly not done much for their favor. But uh, this definitely keeps them in the hunt there too. So maybe the A10 could have a uh, a second team make the field. And and speaking of like really misleading transitions and misleading statements, while you were talking, we were joined by El Cajero, who <laughs> jumped in, and he is coming to us from Moscow. Yes, I'm, I'm actually on my way back from Moscow. Um, I'm sorry to barge in like this, but uh, I finally got cell reception and I figured I would join um, just to kind of, uh, you know, contribute to the discourse. So wait, was that why everybody was laughing? It wasn't because yeah. I was being funny? Damn. No, you're, you're not funny at all, but we got, we got live video from Moscow. <laughs> How's, how's the weather in Moscow today? I'm I'm driving through a snowstorm right now, actually. Uh, coming to you mm. live, uh, going 45 miles an hour right now. Pretty good time. How's the uh, borscht? <laughs> the borscht? Borscht. Uh, I, borscht. No, it's like a Russian borscht. soup. Oh, well, of, of, of course you would know that. Why would they have that in Moscow, Idaho, where Kyle is right now? <laughs> He said Moscow. So borscht, borscht is a cold soup <laughs> made from beets. I believe that soup is the perfect food. I'm the only person <laughs> that ever had this opinion. <laughs> we love it, don't we, folks? We love it. <laughs> we love some, some hot liquid. Kyle, you, yes, were, you were at the uh, Idaho basketball game last night, right? Yes, that is correct. I, I don't know who they were playing or who won or anything about that. So you want to inform us since, you know, you're here? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sorry for, uh, for barging in with my Idaho takes. Like, <laughs> Never apologize. Time for the big sky uh, minute. Our, Mo- <laughs> our Moscow correspondent. Um, but yeah, uh, big sky minute. It was uh, the battle of the domes last night uh, between northern Arizona and Idaho. Uh, they call it the battle of the domes because both teams play – in um in a indoor football stadium which really made the ambiance pretty weird um as someone who hasn't experienced a venue like that for um i got in for five dollars uh, general admission <laughs> general admission anywhere that's awesome yeah yeah you could sit anywhere it was just like well there are no assigned seats there's no number on the ticket so just go in and sit so i did uh i partook in some big sky basketball um, it was it was a pretty up tempo game, I want to say, um, but yet it was a it was simultaneously up tempo and fun yet awful. 
Um, <laughs> don't quote me on this. I think both of the team, um, I want to say, um, Idaho going into the game was one and then had lost to a non-division one earlier this season. Um, couldn't really, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't really tell you that much about Idaho until last night. Um, but I really, I mean, I, I had a good time and I, you know, I feel I, my heart goes out to both of these programs just cause, you know, trying to get people to go to Moscow and play basketball isn't the easiest thing I'm like in the world. Moscow is a pretty tiny city, pretty rural. Um, but yeah, there, there is a reason why both of those teams are in the bottom of the big sky. Um, uh, but yeah, I, if I, I, and I, and I do know that Ted McGahee of, um, of Northern Arizona, he, he just went off. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a shooting guard. He hit most of his threes in transition. He was the only guy that was getting pumped up for anything in the game. Um, I think that he'll be someone to watch for uh, the rest of the big sky play. Um, sh- shall I choose to partake in it? <laughs> And that was the Big Sky Minute. Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sucks that you have to drive through a snowstorm. Imagine it not being like 60 degrees and sunny today. I know, I've got my summer candles. Summer candles. Oh my god. (laughs) So on brand for Cam. Anyone have any more thoughts? What's everyone doing for the Super Bowl? The Super Bowl. The big game. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be reading Shakespeare. <laughs> I will probably eat some garbage, maybe drink a little garbage, and then maybe tweet some garbage. You know, <laughs> my usual Sunday routine of just being the absolute worst human being I can be. <laughs> Actually, I'll probably. I just bought like Call of Duty, so I'm probably just gonna play that instead of watch the Super Bowl. Kyle, what time does the Super Bowl start in Moscow? I <laughs> I couldn't tell you because I I don't think I, I'm I'm not gonna watch it. Truthfully, <laughs> I am I'm continuing on my anti-football quest to the very end. <laughs> um, God bless you. <laughs> I'm I'm trying. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't done so already. Just with UConn football, I mean how the debacle that's been. I openly dislike football but i have to go like my friends and i get together every year to watch the super bowl mm-hmm. so like i'll go and i'll drink garbage and i'll eat garbage and i'll tweet garbage uh like chris said but <laughs> that's right like i don't i'm not happy about it uh i'll go to root against the patriots the new england patriots not, i like george mason russ <laughs> is going to be russ is going to be like the the one annoying party at the super bowl po- the one annoying person at the Super Bowl party who shushes everybody when like the commercials and shit come on. No, nope, I'm not that person. <laughs> Definitely not that person. Because the the thing that I dislike more than football is the brands. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all extremely bad. Darren Rovell voice. The brands. The brands are the only thing worse than the football. He so, had. A t- <laughs> I'll watch Maroon Five. <laughs> he had a tweet saying that. He had 72 drafts or something like that planned <laughs> for the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, what a psychopath. <laughs> 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 Extremely normal human behavior. 
Okay, everybody, thank you for listening to the Mid-Major Madness podcast for Cam Newton, Chris Judy, and our Moscow, Idaho Bureau Chief, Kyle Cajero. I'm Russ Steinberg, and we hope you enjoyed... Oh, fuck, I got to redo this because I was going to say enjoy the Super Bowl. That's okay. No, it's all right. I'll redo it real quick. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening to the Mid-Major Madness podcast for Chris Judy, Cam Newton, and our Moscow, Idaho Bureau Chief, Kyle Cajero. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody. <laughs> <Do you know? laughs> all right. No, I, all right. I'm serious. Now. Because we, we can't leave until I do this. <laughs> all right. Okay, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Mid-Major Madness podcast for Chris Schutte, Cam Newton, and our Moscow, Idaho Bureau Chief, Kyle Cajero. I'm Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.